and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to get our hands dirty by digging them into the earth beneath our feet and rummaging around in search of some strange folklore in the soil. Folklore that includes good luck, bad luck, a death omen, and a little bit of witchcraft along the way. And so, to begin at the beginning. And when I began writing this episode about folklore of the soil, the first thing that popped into my mind was the opening scene from the folk horror classic The Blood on Satan's Claw, in which a farmer finds something unexpected, let's say, as he ploughs the earth. And that's exactly what we've got coming up on this episode. Unexpected things in the soil. And farmers are going to kick off this episode, the good old Welsh farmer, as opposed to the good old English farmer that was in that film. Because if anybody knows anything about the soil, it is the farmer. Somebody who is at the heart of the community, the salt of the earth themselves, you could say, who spend their days, maybe their entire lives, working with and immersed in the soil. And that is why, we are told, it was formerly customary with farmers upon changing farms to take some earth from the place they were leaving to the new home. The earth was strewn here and there among the gardens, the orchards and the lands for luck. So the farmer would take a little bit of the old farm to the new farm for luck in the form of soil. And this can, of course, be seen as a form of continuity, of continuation that pops up a lot in folklore and not just Welsh folklore. And a good example might be the Yule log at Christmas, where the old log with its dying embers is used to kindle a new fire in a fresh young log that is itself destined to burn away, and the process repeats itself again and again and again. And it is the same idea with the farms, where the earth is taken from one farm to the other, presumably forever and ever and ever. If they keep moving farms, they'll keep moving the earth. And it wasn't only the farmer who was doing this, because also we are told sometimes the housewife, and I should interrupt quickly here to point out that this was written in the late 19th century, when all farmers are assumed to be male and all of their wives are assumed to be housewives, even if they worked just as hard if not harder than the men. But sometimes the housewife carried with her the charred stump and wood ashes from the last baking to kindle the first fire in the oven of the new home. So this continuity takes place both outside with the soil and inside with the charred ashes from the fire. And yet another piece of continuity was carried out at the most sombre of occasions during a funeral, because at one time it was customary to throw a handful of earth over the next of kin or heir to the deceased after the funeral. So while you might be familiar with the idea of throwing earth onto the coffin, say, in a traditional funeral, and that's something we'll return to later, in this case, the earth was thrown at a person. It was thrown onto the air, onto the next of kin, the person who will presumably 
inherit the farm from the farmer, take over the farm, the eldest son or the next suitable person. And it wasn't only the farming class doing this, because we are told that also the peasantry, and again, not my words, this is 19th century folklore, well, it's 18th century folklore recorded in the 19th century, but the peasantry also joined in. And among the peasantry in the 18th century, a person taking a voluntary oath in the course of their daily work frequently swore placing a bit of turf or earth on their head. This was customary in Glamorgan later than in many parts of Wales. So anyone swearing an oath, whatever it might be, I, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Or maybe in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Whatever the oath may be, and a gold star if you can tell me where I stole those two oaths from, but whatever the oaths may be, you would say them with a bit of turf on your head at the same time. And I think it's easy for us nowadays to see why that particular piece of folklore might have gone out of fashion. It sounds a bit messy, putting lumps of turf on your head just to swear an oath, especially if you wear hair gel and other sticky modern inventions. It's just going to get a bit messy. But anyway, moving on to our next piece of law, and this might get a little bit convoluted, but bear with me, it will all make sense eventually. But to get a good crop of wheat, barley, oats, or any cereal, farmers used to fetch some mould from three adjoining fields inherited by one person. This they mixed with their seeds before sowing a field. So to get good crops, you had to go hunting for this mould, this quite specific mould. And being a Welsh podcast, I should make clear that is mould the fungus, of course, not mould the town in Flincher, which is much easier to find. Just put it in your sat-nav. But anyway, swiftly moving on from mould to witchcraft, a seamless transition, mould to witchcraft. And if anyone wished to overcome an enemy or discover a thief, they had to cut a piece of sod trodden by the suspected person, wrap it in a rag, then place it under their pillow. In their dreams, the guilty person would appear, and this would be done for three nights in succession. So again, rather convoluted, but if you suspect someone of stealing from you, grab a piece of turf that they've stepped on, collect their footprint as it were, and sleep with it under your head for three nights and the guilty person will appear. Which sounds easy enough, but this is a piece of folklore that is frustratingly lacking in detail. Because I guess it only works if you guessed the correct person. If the person who stepped on the turf wasn't guilty, does that mean somebody else turns up in your dreams? Or nobody turns up in your dreams? I don't know. I've never tried it. And possibly more importantly, if you share the bed with somebody else, what would your significant other think of you bringing a big slab of dirty mud? earth to bed. Now, jumping back to the peasantry, there's a lot of jumping back and forth between the peasantry and the farmers on this episode, but back to the peasantry, and the peasant girls in particular had their own way of using the soil to show that they weren't lying. And in a similar way to people nowadays saying, cross my heart and hope to die to show that they're telling the truth, or maybe if they are lying, they might have their fingers crossed behind their back. These little ways of showing that we are telling the truth or not, as the case may be. But back in the good old days, the Welsh peasant girl, we are told, in proof of the truth of her assertion, would say, if I was to sink into the earth this minute, 
as sure as I am standing on earth. Which is a little bit more long-winded than saying, cross my heart and hope to die. But if I was to sink into the earth this minute, as sure as I am standing on earth, which roughly translated, or not translated, but which roughly means if I was lying to you, the earth itself that I am standing on would open and swallow me up, and clearly it's not doing that, so I am telling the truth. And it wasn't only the girls who could prove their honesty in this way, because the farm boys, we are told, also had a similar saying, which also related to the soil beneath their feet, and it's one that is still commonly, well, maybe not commonly, but still used today, because if these farm boys were astonished in any way, they might say, if the earth was to swallow me up, if the earth was to swallow me up. And if we try and visualize that in a literal sense, it sounds much like what the girls were saying. And it also takes us back to those folk horror films mentioned at the start of this episode. But that's enough about the earth swallowing people up and back to funerals. I did say there was a lot of jumping around in this episode, but back to funerals and black earth, we are told. And that's black in inverted commas. And by black soil, I am assuming they mean the very rich variety of dark soil, but it was a very much sought-after soil. It still is, from what I can tell. It was the creme de la creme of Welsh soil, certainly, and it was in great request for putting on graves without tombstones and those with flower beds. So presumably this black earth added a little bit of prestige to those graves without the stones and helped the flowers grow. And talking about this special soil and jumping back to the farmers and the peasants, this episode is going to make you dizzy. But as well as sprinkling special earth on graves, special earth was also sprinkled on new farms. And we are told that it was formerly the custom of Welsh farmers and peasants to obtain earth from certain important places for the purpose of sprinkling it through their stables, pigsties, gardens, and even their house to avert evil. So this special soil wasn't just a key ingredient to farmers outside, it was a key ingredient inside as well to keep these places safe from any evil forces that might be lurking. And to add to the funeral customs that have already been mentioned, portions of this earth were also strewn over the coffins and graves of their relatives and friends. So this earth, this particular kind of earth, was very handy. It could avert evil and do all kinds of miraculous things and I can hear you all now crying out across the world where oh where can you get your hands on some of this special soil well in the 18th century earth from Llancarven and Llantwit Major both in the Vale of Glamorgan was in much request we are told these are two places to get your good earth from and it was obtained in the former place from the Garden of St. Caddick and in the latter from beside the cross of St. Ilted's and from the Cortaudrig to the north of the parish church. So there's a definite connection here between the good soil and the good Lord himself up above. This soil was to be found in places of Christian worship. And going back to mould quickly, jumping back to mould, the fungus mould, we are told that churchyard mould, the kind of mould you'd gather while gathering this earth, churchyard mould 
passed through a sieve and added to mortar caused the stonework to knit more strongly than if ordinary sifted ashes were used. So if you are thinking of popping out to the church to get some of this soil, pick up some mould at the same time and it'll make your houses or whatever you are building that much stronger. Now, the next bit of law is a little bit strange. Even by my standards, it's a bit odd, which is saying something. But... It was at one time customary for persons suffering with rheumatism to be buried in the earth in the churchyard. And this, of course, means buried alive. There's not much point worrying about rheumatism if you're dead, but buried alive. And if that wasn't bad enough, the patient was stripped naked, but their face was covered. So this is almost the total opposite of how people would usually dress. The face, which is usually revealed and open to the world, is covered, but everything else, every other part of the body is on display, as it were. And they were then buried in a standing position. So they were buried upright, and they were left there for two hours with only the head above ground. But of course, this head was the one part that was covered if then relieved of pain. So if it worked, the process was to be repeated for the same time every day, nine times in succession. But if not quite rid of pain, the patient omitted the treatment for three days, resumed it on the fourth, and then again repeated it nine times in succession. So the treatment for rheumatism was pretty intense, I think we can say, and bordering on blasphemous, if you ask me, these naked bodies being buried in churchyards, and almost certainly illegal in most places nowadays, I would assume. If you do suffer from rheumatism, please don't bury yourself naked in any churchyards for one day, never mind nine days. But if you really, really, really have to give it a go, you did not hear it from me. Now, moving on, and an expression formerly much in use in Llantwit Major and the Vale of Glamorgan, which, as we now know, is God's chosen place for distributing his magical earth. But formerly much in use in Llantwit Major and the Vale of Glamorgan, this expression was, to quote, It is Panwine days with him, with Panwine being spelt P-A-N-W-A-E-N, -E and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it is Panwine days with him, or he has fallen on Panwine days. And you could even say this of a horse. If a horse was unable to render further services, people might say he has come to Panwine days at last, or Panwine days have come for him. And at this point, you might be thinking, what the heck does Panwine mean? Well, the quick answer is that somebody's fortunes have reversed. Things might have been going well for them, now they are not going so well. Panwine days. Or to continue the soil analogy, it is the soil episode after all, they've gone from good ground to bad ground. And the word panwine itself, ur panwine, is a Welsh language word that is used for things like peat moss or a bog, which we might describe as being bad ground or poor ground. Hence the expression, if you are on panwine, you are on shaky ground. And when it comes to the horse, because those examples were for humans, but also there were some for horses. And when it comes to the horse, it does suggest that, and bear in mind again, this was written in the 19th century, that the horse 
has come to the end of its usefulness as a working animal, and sadly, that does not usually end well for the animals. Sadly, animal welfare wasn't that great in the 19th century. Sadly, it still isn't that great in some places today, but that's another subject. But in this respect, it does share some similarities. Pan wine shares some similarities with a more popularly used English language word, which again is used quite casually nowadays, but has a slightly darker origin, and that is the word knackered. Knackered, the kind of word you might say if you're a little bit tired, a little bit worn out, I'm a little bit knackered. But in the horse's case, if your legs were knackered back in the days when you were purely a work animal, well, you don't need me to spell out what was going to happen next. Now, going back to the pan wine, the literal pan wine that could be found on the ground, the mossy, boggy ground that was scattered all across God's own Vale of Glamorgan, particularly at Llancarvan, Llancaddle, Boverton, and Llantwit Major again, where the folklorist casually drops into his description that this is where tradition tells us St. Patrick was captured and taken by pirates to Ireland. And no, I will not go into that right now. I am not going to veer off on a big St. Patrick tangent. St. Patrick is on my to-do list for one of my upcoming episodes at some point in the future, as are pirates. So St. Patrick and pirates are both coming up on separate episodes at some point in the future. So never mind that for now. And back to this episode and back to this earth that was scattered all over the Vale of Glamorgan. And in former times, it was customary for the farmers in springtime when they turned up the first furrow with the plough to take a handful of the earth and sprinkle it in the four corners of the kitchen for luck, peace and plenty. So this earth that brings good luck and peace is good enough to sprinkle in your kitchen. We've used the, the common earth outside in the fields and in the pigsties and the outhouses. Now the special earth is being used in the kitchen. And if that wasn't enough, earth placed in the lining of a hat, yes a hat, or a small piece of turf fastened in the hatband was supposed to guard a man, and presumably a woman, from magic and witchcraft. So, to protect yourselves from witches, stick some earth in your hat. And I am going to add my usual disclaimer here that this is, of course, 19th century folklore, and this is the old stereotypical idea of a witch that is being repelled by these earthy hats, whereas nowadays witches are lovely, lovely people. We should not be trying to repel them with earth-covered hats. Although, in fairness, if you did try it, I am sure the witches would have a good old laugh at anyone walking around with a hat covered in dirt. Now, if you wanted to insult somebody, witches or otherwise, if you wanted to insult someone, it was a token of extreme scorn if anybody spat on the earth before another person. Formally, such an action would end in a free fight among villagers and others. And this is a bit of law, a bit of universal law that I think would be very familiar to many people today. And if you haven't seen it in life, you've probably seen it in a cowboy film or something where somebody spits on the floor in front of somebody. This causes great offence and a barroom brawl erupts and there's chairs flying about the place and whoever's playing the piano stops playing the piano. So that's a great way of starting a fight, but I hope you never have any reason to ever use it. In fact, off the top of my head, 
head. I can't think of any circumstances why you'd want to do this. In fact, maybe you'll do the opposite now. Maybe you were going to spit on the floor and you stop yourself at the last minute thinking, no, that Welsh bloke on the podcast told me this is guaranteed to start a fight. But if you really wanted to insult someone or really challenge someone, I should say, so not just a barroom brawl, which is a bit handbags, but if you wanted to go outside and have a duel, a more sophisticated battle, as it were, if you wanted to go outside with your swords, not that cowboys would use swords, for a shootout maybe, whatever this more sophisticated duel is, then a handful of earth, any old earth, a handful of earth flung at somebody was the equivalent of throwing down the gauntlet. This is an expression I am sure many people have heard, throwing down the gauntlet, which sounds more like something out of Game of Thrones than a cowboy film. But throwing earth at somebody was a serious challenge and you were going to fight until, if, if not the death, certainly until some definite conclusion had been reached. Now, moving on, and late in the 18th century, those people called witches and evil people, again, witches are lovely, but this is folklore. And witches and evil people who wished to destroy an enemy used to cut out a piece of turf to which a thickness of earth was attached that had been trodden by the offending person. And this sounds a little bit like the earlier piece of law about sleeping with the footprint, but where it differs is that this piece of turf was suspended by a cord on a hook in the chimney. And as it dried up, the enemy would waste to death. So as that turf dried in the chimney, as the smoke and the flames flickered upwards, they wasted to death. What a way to go. It's like an earthy, muddier version of the Dorian Gray painting that withers away locked up in the attic. And as we're talking about magic spells, an aged person, a good old aged person, I do like an anonymous aged person on this podcast, an aged person tells us that an old remnant of magic remained prevalent in the early part of the 19th century, and this is something they claim to have witnessed themselves, but when anyone wished for a relative or a lover to come home from a distance or from abroad, so if you wanted somebody to come to you who was very far away, it was customary to boil a clod of earth or turf or the person's old stockings or old shoes in a crock and keep the water boiling for 12 hours, replenishing as it wastes. The person wanted would at once start for home. So presumably the aged person did just that, and the person they were longing to see was with them quicker than they expected. And I have no idea if this still applies today. If anyone fancies giving this spell a go, please let me know how you get on. Although maybe, well, I, I was going to say you should probably check beforehand if this person minds you boiling their stockings or their shoes, but of course you can't check them. That's the whole point of the spell. What the heck? Boil their stockings, boil their shoes. Now, to wrap up this episode, we have some quick fire snippets of folklore. It's been a while since I've done this. I used to do entire episodes of quick fire snippets of folklore, but I'll just do a handful to wrap up this episode. Otherwise, this episode could go on forever. And so... Snippet of quickfire folklore number one, and gaps in the earth in any person's garden or field were said to foretoken death to the owner or tenant. So that's one heck of a death omen. 
gaps in the garden, you're going to die. And looking at the state of my garden, I might be in trouble. Now, snippet number two. And when the earth sinks mysteriously in a field or anywhere near the premises of anybody, it is a token of misfortune. So not so much a death omen as a bad luck omen. But if the earth sinks mysteriously anywhere near your premises, you could be in trouble. Although you don't really need folklore to tell you that, as anyone who has seen a sinkhole or the film Tremors will know. Earth sinking is never a good sign. And finally, snippet number three to wrap up this episode. Number three, and a landslip was formerly avoided by children in their play, for they were told that such a thing never happened without sucking in evil men and naughty children. Deep hollows in fields were said to have been caused by the curses of witches or the bands of enemies. So deep hollows in fields were to be avoided. Again, this is common sense. Children clearly should not be playing near deep hollows they could fall into. And if telling them some story about the curses of witches helps to keep them away, then go for it. Although, who am I to doubt the lore of the folk from centuries ago? Mr. Cynic here sitting in the 21st century, maybe there were witches hiding in the shadows all around that giant hollow in the field, just waiting to sneak up and push the children in. Although, of course, we know that can't be true, because as we've established, witches are lovely. All of which brings us to the end of another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider pressing the subscribe button. And if you really enjoyed it, you can support the podcast by treating me to a coffee or picking up some fancy merchandise from my website. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, you can follow me on social media. And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects, which are available from all good bookshops offline and on, and you can find a full list of those on my website also. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, if you do see someone with a lump of turf on their head, they aren't the punchline to some terrible Christmas cracker joke. It's just somebody making a solemn oath. Or maybe a concerned citizen trying to repel those lovely witches. Until next time, no star. No star.